morning, everybody. Today begins part two of our new series, The Breakfast of Champions. It's kind of a funny title, and we talked about how um, we should be producing the fruit of the Spirit. We don't actually eat the fruit of the Spirit, uh, but there's two things I want you to keep in mind about that. Is first, you can produce the fruit of the Spirit for somebody else to eat, the gentleness, the kindness. And then second, like breakfast, we want the fruits of the Spirit to become an essential everyday part of our lives. So over the next several weeks, we'll be exploring the different fruits of the Spirit. And last week, Pastor Jason kicked off the series by encouraging us to get our hearts in order to prepare them for God so that the fruit of the Spirit has room to grow and fertile ground to thrive in. One of the major ways we can do that is by clearing out the things we put in God's place by giving them our time and devotion, a.k.a. our idols, instead of continuing to haul them around even after choosing to follow Christ. He showed us some pictures of hoarders' homes to illustrate the way we can let things sneak in and build up. And Jason did an awesome job. He just made one mistake. He should have led off with this picture of me instead. <laughs> it's a Photoshop my friend did spring semester of my freshman year of college. And there is a backstory, but it's actually not important. The important thing is, it says, Breakfast of Champions. I'm the champion, and my face is on a Wheaties box, and that's all anyone needs to know. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit can be found in Galatians 5, through 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. But instead of tackling the fruit in, their order, in the order they're listed... I'm going to go rogue and talk about faithfulness first. So let's stand and read today's theme verse together. It's going to be Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. You may be seated. There are several definitions of faithfulness, but the aspects or definitions to keep in mind as we go through today's message are being true to one's word, steady in affection, loyal, constant, and full of faith. Faithfulness is actively keeping our commitment to Christ once we've made it. And practicing faithfulness is so important because it's what's going to keep us on track. Now, marriage is the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about faithfulness. My husband Kyle and I just celebrated five years of marriage this past month. You got a picture of that? We haven't changed at all. Kyle is still the hairier one. Uh, actually, one of my friends in high school always told me that I was going to be a pastor's wife, and I always said, uh-uh, I don't have the temperament to be a pastor's wife. I'm more of the introverted, yet paradoxically obnoxious type, not sweet, mild, meek, and good at crafts. Just look at me now. <laughs> looks like I showed her. <laughs> Marriage is the perfect example of faithfulness because the church is the bride of Christ. And when Kyle and I were meeting with our pastor for marriage counseling, one of the first things we talked about was whether we would write our own vows or use the traditional ones. And the pastor admitted he was kind of biased towards using traditional ones because while writing your own can be quite lovely and make anyone or everyone cry, uh, most of the time a lot of beautiful words are spoken. You had me at hello. I love that you're the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. You're my person. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. You complete me. But the fundamentals get left out. 
call it cliche, but when couples don't promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, in richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and cherish, forsaking all others, keeping only unto each other, till death do you part, you could easily replace the vows with the lyrics to what I like about you or any of the previously mentioned cheesy movie dialogue and get the same effect. You won't always feel like showering your spouse with wedding grade compliments, especially if they haven't showered in a while, but you absolutely can always keep your vows sincerely, even if you don't feel like it. My sophomore year of college, one of my favorite professors related a story about one of his friends. My professor had attended Catholic Church briefly as a child, but wasn't totally familiar with the doctrine and rituals anymore. And as him and his friend were talking, his friend said, man, I love being Catholic. I can do whatever I want, and as long as I confess before I die, I'm good. Now, my professor didn't say anything to his friend in the moment, but his internal reaction was something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, that doesn't sound right. I mean, for all I know, he could be technically correct, but that doesn't sound very sincere. Now, this isn't going to be a tirade against the Catholic Church, because denomination wasn't the issue here. In fact, two things that are key to practicing confession in the Catholic tradition are having a repentant heart and being full of humility. And I think we can all agree that running around, doing whatever you want, ignoring God, and doing all the things you know you're not supposed to do, and then saying, oops, my bad, we're good, right? At the end of it all, isn't really reflective of either repentance or humility. Like my professor, we should be bothered by the lack of sincerity. His friend's problem was first and foremost a heart issue, not a denomination issue. The Bible's very clear on how we should live and how confession works. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is made truly complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If we're following Christ, sin will become much more of an anomaly in our life than an everyday occurrence. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So this guy was missing the whole point of confession. Confession to God is for forgiveness, and confession to others is for healing. But from this one story, it would appear that what this guy really wanted was all the benefits of a relationship with God without the commitment. When it comes to following God, some of us are drawn to his promises but haven't made a vow. Or maybe we have made one, and we're saying all the right things and have the appearance of faithfulness, but really it's just words. So I chose my outfit very carefully today. Uh, These are all clothing pieces that I've gotten a lot of compliments on, and I feel very put together right now. So I actually got this sweater for $3 at a thrift store at least 10 years ago. Um, I think it might be a few more. I got this dress from my sister. It's at least three years old, and uh, she's my younger sister, so I don't know if that makes it like a hand-me-up or a hand-me-across. But either way, she handed it to me, and it originally came from the clearance rack at Forever 21. These leggings, $250 from Walmart, and these shoes are the most expensive thing I bought, $12.50 on clearance at an outlet or shoe discount outlet at a Janesville Mall this past summer. But I also have this Tommy Hilfiger purse. It's really nice. 
I actually have no idea how expensive it is or not because I got it for free. Uh, a friend of mine was getting rid of it, and at first I wasn't going to take it because I have this really awesome $8 purse from Target. But then I realized this purse is the perfect size to hold a couple of diapers and a pack of wipes. That means no more diaper bags for this mom. Appearances can be deceiving. Sometimes all a pretty exterior does is obscure the stinky truth. If you ask people, <laughs> if you ask people why they don't like Christians, you'll hear a lot of variation on the same basic answers. Christians are judgmental, hypocrites, fake. Unfortunately, this reputation isn't unfounded. The church has a history of outwardly denouncing sin like abuse and violence while covering up or in some cases endorsing the same behavior within the church, like child molestation scandals or the crusades. In these cases, appearances became more important than putting a stop to sin and holding each other accountable. A recent example of this is Mars Hill Church. Founded in spring of 1996, Mars Hill began meeting in Pastor Mark Driscoll and his wife's rental home. By fall of 1999, the church had long since moved out of their home and uh, had a weekly attendance of 350 people. 2003, they moved into a renovated hardware store. By 2006, they had their first satellite campus. By 2013, they had a membership of 6,489 people and an average weekly attendance of 12,329 people. Just a little, just a little bit different from our attendance today. <laughs> they had a worship band that Driscoll himself called Face Meltingly Awesome. And they appeared on the Church Guide's list of top churches to watch in America. They were ranked number three to learn from about church growth number three for innovation, number two for church planting, and number four overall. And all of this looks and sounds amazing from the outside, but you probably already know or can guess how the story ends. After years filled with controversy and denial, including proof that disagreement with the leadership led to firing and shunning, in September, 24, uh, September 2014, an investigation launched by the church elders found Driscoll, quote, guilty of bullying, and patterns of persistent sinful behavior. On January 1st, 2015, just shy of 19 years after they first started meeting in the Driscoll's home, Mars Hill Church closed its doors for good. The fallout from the scandal caused many to give up on the church and Christianity altogether. When we keep our struggles hidden, the sin continues to grow and get a stronger and stronger hold on us. Last week, Jason compared it to a race car trying to drag around a semi-trailer, even though that's not what it was designed for. As we talked about clearing our idols and leaving our sin behind instead of dragging it with us because that's not what we're designed for, James 4.7 came to mind. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But instead of submitting, surrendering our trailer of sin to God, we fight so hard to hold on to it and hide it behind this white picket fence facade. And that fence might be enough to hide it from our neighbors, might even be tall enough to fool ourselves, but it's never going to fool God. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Looking put together doesn't mean you are put together. 
and verbal commitment means nothing without follow-through. In recent years, a trend in Christianity has been to rail against hypocrisy by focusing on authenticity. On the surface, this looks like a great trend, but there are a few problems with valuing brokenness above everything. A great example of this can be found on an, an online 2016 article from Relevant Magazine titled, Chris Pratt is the Christian Celebrity that Culture Needs. Now, <laughs> you might know Pratt better as Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy or Owen from Jurassic World, and the article talks about how Pratt is unabashedly open about his faith, without the facade. It's an exciting and refreshing concept. Finally, a Christian celebrity who isn't holier than thou and is genuinely funny and cool. But there are some problems with this article, particularly the way it pre presents vices as virtues under the guise of authenticity. I have a few key excerpts from the article here. They read, Pratt's faith isn't about a social or political agenda. It's not combative. It seems personal. It appears authentic. He carries himself like a guy with a successful career who's just trying to figure out his faith, just like all Christians are. In an interview with Stephen Colbert, Pratt talked about marching up a mountain with a giant cross to experience what Jesus did on Easter weekend. Earlier in the same interview, he made some dirty jokes. After his GQ photo shoot, he filmed some goofy drunk acting lessons while swigging from a bottle of fireball whiskey. He jokes about sending raunchy text messages to friends. He wants to drink beer on Saturday night and go to church on Sunday. In a lot of ways, he seems like a lot of actual Christians who may not always do and say the right things by Sunday morning standards. This persona is the kind that culture needs more of. It's the kind of public personality that shows that Christians aren't meant to be perfect, but they are meant to be sincere. And here I always thought that being a Christian meant being a follower of Christ and that Jesus was the one to show us how we were meant to live. <laughs> Sarcasm aside, it's not about living up to Sunday morning standards. It's about following God and meeting his standards and having him see Jesus when he looks at us. Sincerity and transparency are incredibly important in order for us to come alongside one another, practice encouragement, accountability, and healing. But what culture needs more of is the truth, the gospel, not a celebrity's average cool guy, stars, they're just like us, persona. The rest of the article is equally muddled. Some really good points are made, like warning against hypocrisy, which is important and something we've already talked about today, reminding us not to be legalistic with our faith, that is, setting aside or ignoring the work that Jesus did for us on the cross and trying to get to heaven just by following all the rules, and finally, stating that we need more Christians who are willing to be open about their faith, even if they think they don't look and talk how Christians are supposed to look or talk. Those are some great takeaways. However, it completely misses the mark on the closing line stating, sometimes it takes a celebrity to remind us of that. Inspiration can be found anywhere, and maybe somebody's perfectly imperfect persona can remind us that our faults don't cancel out God's love for us. But there's quite a difference between recognizing that we don't have to be perfect to serve God, and God can use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things, and embracing our faults wholeheartedly because, hey, I'm a sinner too. Jesus's example should always be the one to remind us of how we should live. Not Chris Pratt's, certainly not mine, or any other high or low profile Christian's authentic one. 
hopefully it's clear that I'm not attacking Pratt. The author could have been talking about any celebrity. His friend Bill, me, your mom, Pastor Dan. The issue would have been the same. We're all human. We aren't perfect. The problem with the article is the attitude that glorifies our sin and brokenness and holds it up as an example for us to follow. I kind of like those t-shirts and bags that say, God bless this hot mess, because when we're running late for everything and we haven't showered yet, forgot to pick up that one thing again, and we're running on coffee, we can relate. We crack up when Gladys Hardy on a nationally broadcast phone call to Ellen DeGeneres says, listen, I'll be honest with you. I love Jesus, but I drink a little. You can get a t-shirt that says that too if you want. It's all in good fun and it feels really real and relatable until we realize that we're celebrating crude behavior, chaos, and drunkenness. Not authenticity and certainly not Christ. In the words of author Brent McCracken, why must real be synonymous with flawed and imperfect? When someone opens up about their junk, we think you're being real and we can relate to them. But what about the pastor who served faithfully for decades without any scandal, loved his wife and family, and embodied the fruit of the Spirit? Is this less real? According to Eric Theones, professor of biblical and theological studies at Biola University, there's this idea that to live out of conformity with what I feel is hypocrisy. But that's a wrong definition of hypocrisy. To live out of conformity with what I believe is hypocrisy. To live in conformity with what I believe, in spite of what I feel, isn't hypocrisy. It's integrity. We know we're not perfect. And when we share our struggles with others, there's relief and comfort in knowing that we aren't alone. We should also be honest with ourselves and God. But we're moving in the wrong direction if we wear our sins and vices as a badge of honor. That attitude is about as far from faithfulness as it gets. Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. His sacrifice is what set us free, and that's what we celebrate. Not our realness, not our authentic brand. I have been crucified with Christ, so it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our goal is to follow his example and be more like him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Thank God we don't have to stay dead in our sin or return to our old way of life. True authenticity is being open, honest, and accountable while striving to be more like Christ. I know I talked a lot about the fall of Mars Hill Church earlier, but one thing I didn't mention was that when they closed all their doors, they gave all the campuses the option to stay open as an independent church without Mars Hill leadership and without the Mars Hill name. And now, about three years after the big fallout, there is some really cool things going on at those campuses. There's a lot of healing going on. I encourage you to look it up. There's a great article that the Gospel Coalition put out talking about that. God is faithful. In the Bible, you'll find scripture after scripture after scripture talking about God's faithfulness. And even though I've been known to come up here and read massive chunks of scripture, I would encourage you to take the initiative and read them for yourself. Google can be really helpful with that if you're not sure where to start. 
but for today, I'm just going to read one passage that really stuck out to me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny who he is. So even if we stray and put our faith on the back burner, saying with our actions, if not with our words, God, I know I'm supposed to put you first, but I just really have to focus on this other stuff right now. We're definitely going to feel that distance, and we're going to feel ourselves drifting away. But even so, God's response isn't, well, I guess you're not my child anymore. Even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. He is faithful. Kind of a thought that came to mind that I've been playing around with is, I have my two-year-old son has this new thing where you say, I love you, and he says, thank you. And he walks away, and he smiles, and he's so cute. And I, I don't mind it because I know he loves me back. But I think sometimes that's the way we think of God, that we say, God, I love you, and he goes, thank you. But God, with God, it's always, and I love you too. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to close with Heart of Worship in just a minute. It's one of my favorite songs for getting back to basics and letting go of all the stuff that builds up and just seems so important that it pushes God out. One way for a marriage to fail is to make it all about you. In fact, I'd argue that the quickest, easiest way to break the vows that you make to your spouse is to be selfish. It's not exactly a groundbreaking, earth-shattering observation that selfishness is a really good way to make any relationship fail. It's so easy to get wrapped up in life, in the mundane, the unusual, the struggle, the crisis. But when that happens, we need to make sure that we're leaning into our relationship with God and not neglecting it. It's so easy to get swept up into the everyday to the point where we get comfortable in our sin. And we don't want to challenge it and don't want to flee from it. But the truth is, when we do that, we're letting those things own us. But we don't have to. We can surrender those things to God and remain faithful. By cultivating faithfulness, we keep the ground fertile for the other fruits of the Spirit to thrive. I'm going to close with Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So after worship is over, you're dismissed. I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship.